Welcome, Tommy. Thanks ever so much for taking the time to join us today. We all really, really appreciate it. Going to go over your time at Villa, obviously, but first of all, just talk a little bit about recovery and how that's been because before COVID-19, you obviously picked up a, a bad season-ending injury. How's it going? Yeah, it's going really well, Touchwood. Um, uh, got the injury November time, so uh, I'm sort of approaching the six-month anniversary. Got about three left, so... Uh, we were just saying off off air there, it makes it a little bit easier mentally when there's no action or, or games at the moment. It makes sure. it a little bit easier mentally to, to deal with it, but it's all going in the right direction and, and looking forward to getting back into some sort of training soon. Yeah, well, we wish you all the best with the recovery. We're going to start with, take you back to your, your, your first sort of opening weeks and months at Villa then. I mean, it's uh, four years almost now, isn't it? Crazy how, how long it's gone, Tommy. But yeah. <laughs> So, I mean... For people who forgot, you were the first signing under the new regime when, when Villa were relegated and, and the man sort of tasked with uh, shaking up the dressing room a little bit. But just just take us back. How much of a mess was it at Villa when you first arrived? Yeah, it was. I suppose if I could change anything going back now, I'd probably have left it a little bit longer to come in. And I think being the first through, first one through the door was, was extremely difficult Um especially as I'd been built up as this man who was going to come in and, and shake things up. And it was a it was a disjointed dressing room and bad attitudes everywhere you looked. And um, it was a picture that was sort of portrayed. And it, I, I didn't really quite understand it until I got in. And, and I've always said once the phone call come that Villa were interested, I was like that was dead set and, and keen on making it happen. Um and and it was it was a bit of a mess and, and a bit disjointed when I got there. Um, but something I felt could be turned round. But looking back, I probably didn't respect the damage that had been at the club before I'd got there. And I think it was probably a four, three, four season period that the damage was done o- done over. Um, and the, the the task was definitely more difficult than what what I thought it would be. Yeah, because the new owners ended up coming in. But that doesn't that doesn't change what's happened the season before. Obviously, Villa go down with the lowest points tally they've ever had. It's it's the worst season in living memory for, for many many Villa fans. But how involved was Doctor Tony, and what were your memories of him? Because at the time, I think the Villa fans were buzzing because it, it was all new and it was exciting. But looking back now, it's it's a real strange time. Yeah, it was exciting, and I don't know at the start like it was very exciting when I got sold sort of the, the vision and, and whatnot and early dealings with, with Dr Tony were interesting ones really um, first sort of time I'd met him was was over a, a Skype conversation um, and then I had met uh, Ho who was his assistant he would be quite prominent at the training ground but the first time I'd come into face-to-face contact really with him was and this probably sums up how crazy the first sort of two three months was he, he I remember being up in the canteen and, and we was getting ready to travel to Ipswich on a Friday still quite really early in, in Roberto's reign and we all used to eat together under Roberto and we was up having lunch in the canteen and Ho comes up um, and points to me and says oh the, the owner's got a present for you downstairs and everyone's looking at me thinking what is going on here um, <laughs> so I made my, made my way down to the offices and there was like a little boardroom um and I said, oh, not nice, nice to meet you, Dr. Tony. And well, Mr. Chairman, blah, blah, blah. I said, I was thinking, going, yeah, fine. He said, right, I think I'm going to sack Roberto. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, where, wow. Where's my present? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like, I, I, I'm not happy with the start we've made and things that aren't, I've spent all this money and things aren't going well and we've got problems off the bat. I said, oh, look, relax. We, we was only sort of five or six games in, I think, at this stage. 
Yeah. Um, he said, he said to me, well, what would Eddie Hell do? And I said, well, he would do a lot of things different, but well, what, what's Roberto telling you at halftime? And that was my first meeting with him. And it sort of summed up how crazy the first two or three months were really. Um, but yeah, it's just strange times. A very strange time, Tommy. Yeah, I mean, just in those early days of pre-season when you're sort of trying to pull everyone together, I mean, what what, what do you actually have to do as the captain then? Because it's a new manager under a new ownership in a new division and obviously you're the captain. Yeah. You know, how does it work? Like, it was really tough. Um, I think being a captain at any club, like, I've always looked at it as you're made a captain for a reason, so don't change. So I, I was never going to change who I was. Um, but when I got got to Villa, it was really hard, like some really big, big players with massive reputations. And all of a sudden I was coming from this small club, Bournemouth, where we'd had all this success. And our change room at Bournemouth was just so aligned and everyone was just so on the same page and it was just easy. It just flowed. Um, whereas at Villa, you had so many agendas, you had so many um, different people at different stages of their career. I remember walking in on the first day and immediately just sensing the split in the dressing room. You almost had three sort of corners. You had like the foreign lads that had, had their nose put out of joint because a foreign manager had just left and it seemed like the English lads had the power. You had the English lads who didn't really like the foreign lads and weren't together. And then you had like a core of youngsters that didn't know what direction they was going in. So to bring it all together was, it was always going to take so much time. And that's my biggest lesson really going there. I thought I would just go to Aston Villa. It'd be easy. We'd get off to a good start, massive club unbelievable players and it would just take off um but I think from sort of about three four weeks in I just started to think I, I always remember the last pre-season game we played against Middlesbrough I think it was who had just been promoted and we had played all right but I remember just asking certain players to maybe do something and like sort of them looking at me thinking who, who do you think you are and I'm only trying to do really? it for the good of mm. the team and the good of the group yeah so it was always going to take someone like Steve Bruce coming to the club to sort out who was on board and who wasn't. And that's, for me, that's the one thing he did really, really well was create a group. It was difficult. And you can't, as a captain or a leader of the dressing room, you're only following your manager's lead. Um, and I just felt really early on with Roberto, the picture that he had been painted wasn't the one he was being given, if that made sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah, um, no, it does, yeah. I don't know, I almost felt... I felt really, really sorry for Roberto. I felt the cards were stacked against him. I felt signings were coming through the door that he had no say under. He was finding it tough to get players out the door because the owner was holding them in some sort of value. Um, I remember a week before the season started, we had 11 v 11 with five or lads, five or six lads sitting on, on the sideline. And to create a group with that many players, create a core, create a team spirit, yeah, it was never going to happen. Mm. Yeah. You know, when you say that you were sort of asking players to do something, I mean, would that just be basic sort of things, you know, just just in training yeah. or just as, as a yeah, group just, to get together with things or was it just... Just more tactically when, you, when you're when you on a pitch, you're, you're asking sort of a, a left okay. winger or a striker to drop back in and they almost don't want to do it. They, the problem was there were just so many lads that had been really, really hurt for the last two or three seasons. Haven't won many games with battered bruise. There were so many issues with lads and the fans. It was so disjointed. And when it gets like that, players go into a defence mechanism and just want to look after themselves instead of going, yeah. right, you know what? Drop all the egos, 
drop all the agendas. We all need each other, whether it's for the next month, six months, two years. But at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. Let's get back to the Premier League. And I think sometimes lads find the easiest way out is, we'll throw my toys out the pram, I'll get a move anyway. Um, which a lot of lads did because they're good players and they always was going to. But yeah, think, things were quite changed. Lads never really knew whether they were coming or going. Uh, one minute a lad thought he was being sold and then he wasn't being sold. So it, it was a... a a mess going into the start of the season and that must be really hard as a new face as well because you're trying to trying to settle in yourself but just off the top of my head there's three players sat in that dressing room going into the end of the first window so you've got Gabby Richards and Lescott who've all been captain themselves at points the season yeah. before so like you say to try and try and organize that as a, as a new guy trying to settle in yourself as well it must have just been an absolute nightmare yeah, and on top of that, there was all England internationals and sort of I'm this lad who's come through the leagues. And But I can't talk highly enough of them characters. All made me yeah. feel welcome. Um, like, I think during that transfer window, we lost some really good characters along the way as well that we could have used. Um, like I remember training in a back four and Meeks was right back. I was centre-half with J-Lo. And I just thought, Jesus, if, if us three with a left-back could get going, like, we'd be well away this season. Um, so I think there was just so many underlying issues where lads had to move on. And it was tough. Like, obviously, you lads knew more about it than I did. Um, there were so many issues at the club at the time. And looking back, if all of them issues could have just been put to bed and we could have all just moved on, it, it would have been so much easier. But it just took too long to sort out, I think, to to get off to a good start. Sure. I remember talking to you, I think three or four games in and then and then again, six or seven games in. And it was just so many late goals, so many unlucky yeah. results. Um, when it when it wasn't actually going to plan, what, what's it like for the captain? Do they have to really, you know, pull, pull everyone together? Because, I mean, it's you're doing two jobs almost, aren't you? You're trying to bring the, the players close to the manager, but also trying to keep everyone happy. Yeah, again, and probably a massive le- lesson I learned. I almost tried to take a little bit too much on myself. Uh, I remember getting to the club and thinking, oh, if I can get this one on board and get that one on board and if we can sort out the relationship. I remember speaking to you, Greg, and saying, if we can just sort of start portraying a bit more of a positive picture in the press, then it will get the fans on board. And do you remember? And and instead of probably working backwards, I probably should have just gone in. I, I, I wish to a certain extent that I wasn't the first one in. Um, it would have done me a massive favour if I wasn't announced that the captain was in the first two weeks and just things like that. Like, let me get in, get my feet under the table, get playing, do what I do best and then everything will take care of itself after that. Um, but you almost end up where there was so much wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think we forget really. There's a lot of pressure, isn't there? For some, I think we just look at you and think you're this, you know, this captain that, that's sort of untouchable and unbreakable and you just come in and change everything. But it's, it's difficult, isn't it? I think the worst thing that ever happened to us that season was looting away in the cup. Because we'd yeah, actually, I remember. I, I, I remember playing, at, um, I don't know what order it come in, but I remember playing Sheffield Wednesday first game. And coming away really, really positive because they had just missed out on getting promoted. Um, and we'd lost to a last-minute goal. Um, and thinking, you know what, we, we could be all right here. We just, when we get our first win, it'll, it'll look after itself. We'll get a bit of confidence. We'll get on a roll and, and, and we'll be well away. But then I think, I don't know whether we played Rotherham and then Luton or Luton and then Rotherham. We played Luton on the telly and the manager changed the whole team. And I think since then, it was after that, they just went bananas and spent all sorts of money. Some that worked out really, really well, but some that didn't. Um, and again, it, it was a huge change again. 
um, you start to get to grips with the dressing room at that stage. And then all of a sudden you've got seven or eight lads that come in on the back of that and everything's changing again. So it was never, we never really got settled in that first season until Steve Bruce got in and probably after the, the, the January transfer window. We'll move on to Steve Bruce in a sec, but I just wanted to ask you, Tommy, Stylian Petrov was training with the first team yeah. for the majority yeah. of that summer. He'd got his fitness fitness levels up. He was he was looking really good, saying all the all the right things. Do you think if they'd just kept him on, that that might have helped the dressing room a little bit? Like all all I can say on on a personal note is I remember going in um, to sign, and it was a couple of days, or I may, may have had to go in a couple of days earlier than everyone else. And Stan was at the training ground and. Bearing in mind, Stan's got no contract. Um, we all know the personal sort of struggle that he had to get to the stage he was at. Um, he, he didn't know me from the next one. He had no, nothing to, to to sort of, no loyalties towards me and helping me settle in. But he, he said to me, there's my phone number. Anything you need to know about the area, the club, just ring me anytime. Um, yeah. And he was one of the only ones, even out the lads that ever done that to me. And there was definitely a place for Stan, uh, whether it was in the dressing room or behind the scenes, to be at the football club. Like, I, I just felt as well, like you had Roberto come in, uh, Steve Clark come in, and I, I automatically thought Roberto and Steve had a connection, but they didn't. They was put together. And then on uh, top really? of that, you had Kevin. Yeah, I had thought like maybe Roberto had worked with Steve before or they'd been at Chelsea together. Um, and then on top of that, you have Kevin Bond who comes in, who I'd known, um, who's never really worked with Roberto either. And even that was that dynamic was a little bit disjointed. Like I didn't really feel that the three of them were on the same page. Whereas if you had added sort of a stand to that, knew what the club was about, knew what the dressing room was about, he would have been a massive asset to the club. Yeah, I look back at it and think of it as being a, a massive mistake. Because I thought Steve Clark and I'm the same. I thought Steve Clark and and Di Matteo. I thought that that'll work. Both got the Chelsea connections, yeah. but obviously it didn't. And it's Steve Bruce who's who's had to come in and and cajole the club and, and try and pull the dressing room together. So in his first game, you you end up go, going off injured, Tommy. So it, it's just lurching from one bad thing to another for you, isn't it? It did really, yeah. Um, like looking back, a hundred percent, Steve Bruce was the right man for the job at that time. Uh, the club needed steady and it needed a level head. It needed someone that had been there and done it and seen it. Um, it needed the backroom staff pulling together from the offices to the chefs to the physios. Everyone needed being put in the same direction, which I think he done really well. Um, I think he created a group. He created a team spirit. Um, but just on a personal note, it was probably um, it just didn't work for me and me and Steve Bruce. Uh, I've got tons of respect for him what he's done and what he's about as a manager um but it, it just didn't work he, he he wasn't having me and i wasn't having him at, at the end of the day and like he'd be the first to admit that um he's the type of guy now if i saw him i would hold absolutely nothing against him i'd love to have a, he's a type of guy i would love to have a beer with do you know what i mean and yeah, listen yeah. to his stories and reminisce about his stories because he's got some unbelievable stories but just as a manager it just didn't work for me is there a reason for that or is it just from day one did it not click not not i wouldn't say from day one no um i think over time i just lost a bit of faith in it all um like i've got so many stories of what i feel i i cards were stacked against me but he'll probably come at it from a different argument and just say the bottom bottom line is i just didn't think he was good enough which when a manager says that like i wish he had said that but he never really ever told me that if he'd have said told that to me i said well 
I'll go and prove you wrong somewhere else, which almost ended up happening when I went to Hull. But I don't know, I just lost faith and trust. And when I'd come from such a a line dressing room and such a regimented schedule and structure, and we had such a clear aim of what we were doing at Bournemouth and, and a clear way of working. And I always felt myself coming away from training thinking, well, what have we done today? What are we aiming? What are we going for? What is the aim here? And I don't know, I struggled with that for, for a while. And it wasn't until I went, I thought I'd get it when I went to Reading, but unfortunately got injured. But when I went to Hull, I managed to get that back and got back to where I needed to be. Would you say that is a case of Eddie Howe and, and, and what you experienced at Bournemouth sort of been ahead of most other people? Or is it a fact that maybe Steve was just, Steve Bruce was, was slightly behind and just not really up to the levels that you had expected? Uh, no, I wouldn't say. I just It's just different styles. When I look at Eddie, he wants to take every player, work with them, make them better, give them a clear way. Whereas Steve very much um, signs, been there, done it, proven. Just go out there and do what's right for me and, I would go out there and still try and play in the way I'd been coached in the last sort of seven, eight, nine years of my career. And it just wasn't what he wanted. I remember his first game and sort of a ball come over the top and I chested it instead of heading it back. And I just remember him screaming at me. And I thought, oh, gee, the alarm bells started ringing a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. um, listen, his, his style is proven and it works. And he's a great manager. He's a great man manager. And if you're one of his men and one of his, what I used to call foot soldiers that, he relied on and trusted it was the best job in the world because it wasn't complicated you knew where you stood you knew how the week would work uh, you knew you was valued and when you was one of them for him like there was no looking back but when you wasn't it was really really tough to deal with yeah it's it's, it's a hard one that isn't it I mean do you think from from your, all your experience in football that if a manager either if a manager's not really having you can you ever win him back at any point is is that possible or is it is that just you know that the managers got their own thoughts there i think certain managers possibly but i think like what you said there that 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 is probably steve bruce once his mind's made up on you there he's very very yeah. hard to track to change it i mean when i look back at sort of our third season going into that pre-season i remember being out on loan at reading i'd got injured sort of done my rehab back at villa obviously keeping a real close eye on it um, we we missed out on the playoffs um, and I come back that pre-season I thought I didn't think they'd be able to s- sustain the spending that they had in the, the last couple of years and we all sort of knew that they wouldn't be able to go and sign whoever they wanted and I was looking at things and I'm thinking well JT's going to retire Chris Samba's retiring uh, there's me and Chesley left I'm thinking gee if I can just have a good pre-season then I can change this guy's mind and I know I can and uh I come back double fit and had a good pre-season. Um, he was flirting you with the back three. Well, which, didn't you? I think I remember. Well, yeah. that's what I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I, the, the, the story was actually, I wasn't even meant to be playing that game. Um, right. Sort of in the last pre-season, couple of pre-season games, he'd started to play melee centre-half. And I just thought that, for me personally, like that was a real kick in the teeth. And I almost found it a little bit embarrassing that he was, I was the only centre-half in the door, but he was playing a centre midfielder in front of me. I was like my days are up here anyway we get to the first game of the season and me lays ill um so he plays plays me and Chesy. we win 3-1 um and a score so i'm thinking well go on then i'll kick on from here uh next game and you always used to know when he was making changes steve bruce because he would never name the team on a friday so he doesn't name the team on a friday um everyone's saying to me no nah, there's no way he can leave you out and we get to the game and lo and behold, we get to the game and he leaves me out. So that's just when I knew from that stage on, like obviously there was 
signals way way before that but from that stage on there was just no way I was ever going to play for him that season yeah because the season before as well I remember that you you came in for a couple of games over Christmas and we were struggling at the time and we won a couple of games with you back in the defense and I remember thinking myself well he can't change that team now because Tommy's come in he's done well we've won a couple of games but John Terry came back and obviously I know it's John Terry look but then you you were straight back out again and you just thought I thought the same yeah there's something about this guy he doesn't he doesn't want to play him just yeah, it just wasn't. Listen, it just wasn't. The bottom line was he just wasn't having me. But like that that period as well was really really tough because uh, the season before I, in his first transfer window, I remember having some really nice options to go on loan and to even leave, and he sat me down and said, "No, you like I, I want you part of the squad and you know just wait for your chance." Bakes and and Chesy were were doing really well and just just wait for your chance. I'll get you back in anyway. It never really come about, um, and then sort of the, the pre-season after that I'd it'd give me permission to go and meet Harry Redknapp I was going to sign for Birmingham nearly um, I, I nearly signed for Sunderland and I would always come in the next day and say oh, don't worry you'll you'll always be in my plans don't worry just tick along you'll get your chance at some say then JT comes in and all of a sudden I find myself training with the kids every sort of Thursday and Friday and I'm like how has this gone so wrong um, so just stick in, just sort of be the good pro you can, trying to wait for the next transfer window and hopefully get out on loan and, and see where we are. But I get in over Christmas and, and my first game was Brentford. I think JT had broke his foot. Chris Samber had come in and, and got injured and he literally had no other choice but to play me. And we played against Brentford on the telly uh, who were flying at the time. Uh, and I think they beat us 2-1 or something yeah they did. Um, but I actually thought I'd done all right so then the next game we've got to Middlesbrough so we're traveling up to Middlesbrough on the Friday again he doesn't name the team uh, names the team Friday night it was it was a weird one um, and he had planned to play melee centre half for the first time I think um, and he left me out and I thought oh, this this is all over like, I just can't wait to get to January anyway we wake up Saturday morning and I get a knock on the door and I look through my peephole and it's Steve Bruce. I think, what's he coming to my room for? So anyway, comes in the room and says, sit down. He said, uh, look, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I need you. I said, all right, fair enough. What's going on? He said, uh, Glenn Zeal, so I'm going to push Melee into midfield and you're going to play centre half. I said, bang on. He said, listen, just go out there, give me your everything and we'll sort it out after. I said, perfect. So anyway, it goes out, we, we, we win the game, we keep a clean sheet. So buzzing. Um, nothing said after that. Then we play Middlesbrough, uh, New New Year's Day, I think, and we win 5-1. Middlesbrough were about fourth or fifth in the table. Um, and at this time, we were sort of struggling. And I couldn't, like, literally couldn't have done no more. But JT's coming back. So, listen, I understand John Terry is probably the best centre-half we've ever had in England. And they're paying him a, a huge amount of money. So, I totally understand that he's probably going to leave me out. Uh, we play Nottingham Forest the next Friday. He pulls me in the office on the Friday morning. He said, look, I've got, I've got to leave you out. Um, we're paying extortionate amount of money to, to JT. Um, I'm under pressure to play him. There's nothing I can do. But listen, Tom, I need you. I want you on board. I love you as a lad. And look, we don't even know if JT's going to be all right. So just be on your toes. So I said, look, Gaffer, as long as I'm not going back with the kids anymore and as long as I'm in your plans, like I'm happy to sit behind Chesley and JT but just use me if one of them two get injured. Like, I can't go to you putting a midfielder in front of me or bringing someone in over the top of me. He said, perfect. So uh, we goes goes to Forest. We win the game. He pulls me back in the office Monday and says the same to me. 
He said, so I leave the office and literally last words were, right, that's it, Tom. You're not going anywhere. You're staying. I said, gaff up. Perfect. Like, let's try and get promoted. And we're all on board. I literally walked out of his office, walk up to lunch, have my lunch, walk back downstairs, get in my car. My phone goes off a number that I've never, never seen before. So I answered the phone. I said, hello. He goes, uh, John Mick McCarthy. I said, oh, all right, Mick, how are you? I said, uh, I've just got off the phone to Brucey and I want to know where your head's at. So I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, he's told me he's not having you and I can have you on loan. So I literally just walked out the office. I said, Mick, oh my God. are you sure this is right? I've just walked out the office. He said, I'm not going nowhere. He said, well, I'm telling you, John, he's told me I'll have you. So I said, like Mick, with all due respect, I, impression. I, I don't know whether I'm yeah, coming really or going is. here. <laughs> I said, I don't know whether I'm coming or going here. So, um, Jesus. My missus was my missus was about to drop at the time, and uh, I said, Mick, like I'd love to come down and play for you, like, but my missus is due to drop in 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 two weeks. There's no way I can come from Sully Old to Ipswich, not knowing the situation. So anyway, that one passes over, and then I get the opportunity to to go to Reading on loan, and and I end up going to Reading. So I was just it was one of them. Any time I ever got my foot in the door or got a foot up and thought, go on, kick on. I just seen something always seemed to go against me and like hold my, my own hands up as well. I don't think I was at my best under Steve Bruce. I don't think my style suited him like we said before. So yeah, it was never, never a match made in heaven. Do you like beer? Do you like free? How about you guessed it? Free beer. As a valued listener, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com slash 1874 and cover just the postage of £4.95. You've got to pay the poster. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of 1874, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers overall. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they're the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. But they haven't forgotten their roots. And as an independent UK company, Beer 52 are passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power's in your hands. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive, and a beery snack is thrown in as well just to top it all off. Don't like dark beers? Choose the light plan. Easy. Just go to www.beer52.com slash 1874 to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, 1874 listeners get two free extra beers. It's a great story about Ipswich and Mick McCarthy, but I mean, you must you must have been absolutely screwing at the time. You must have been thinking, well, what what the hell's going on here? And, and then you would go back and I'd go back and see him. I'd say, well, what's this all about? And he'd say, well, I'm just trying to do what what's best by you. And I want to leave all the options. I don't, I don't know whether I'm coming. I just never knew whether I was coming or going with him. And I just wish he'd turn yeah. around and said, look, I'm not having you. Will you please go do us all a favour? And and that was it. And and um and we could have put it to bed. Uh, it was even right up until I left to go on hot to go to Hull on loan. Um again there wasn't there was only me and Chesie in the building and I'd played that game and 
all of a sudden you get the loans manager coming up to you saying, I think we need to get you out on loan. And it's like, well, why can't the manager tell me this? Um, it was just, yeah, it was strange. It was strange for me, really strange period. When JT came in and, and I mean, effectively sort of came in and to take your place, do, do you become sort of envious of him then? Do, or did you end up, have, you know, ever been close with him? How does it, how, how's it? Not at all. Um, I think for, for, for any any centre-half to, to play and train, uh, to, well, listen, I never got to play with him, but to train alongside someone like that is, is a privilege. And I think when someone's that good, they only make you a little bit better as well. Um, to see Fair. how they perform, to see how they act. Like we're talking about one of the greatest captains that the country's ever seen. Um, so again, for me, like when I look back at my Aston Villa career, it's just been one massive, huge learning curve for me that's going to stand me in such good stead beyond football, beyond my playing days. Yeah, sure, sure. And and just back onto that that move to Hall. Then just just tell us what happened, sort of in those in the days, weeks before. I mean, some fans sort of blamed Bruce for letting you go and leaving the club so short on defensive cover, and they they wanted to see you stick around. But is, was it a case of you pushing it through, or or, or Steve? No, you not, I went into the whole game and I wasn't meant to be playing. Mele was going to be playing with Chesie, um, which had like really sort of pissed me off, if you like. Um, mm. But it was only the fact that Mele wasn't well and I ended up playing. And then again, I, like I come in the next day and Tommy Mooney was the loans manager. And I remember myself playing Jed Steer. Uh, there was a few of us that played. Um, and then Tommy Mooney's all of a sudden coming up to us in the training ground, telling us we need to get out on loan. And like, well, what do you mean? I played yesterday and scored. <laughs> so there was always that confusion. So I was things wasn't sitting right with me. Um, and then, as I say, we went to the next game. He had left me out. And, and sort of the instruction from, from me to my agent was, I need to get playing. I'm in my last contract. I've not played enough games, nowhere near enough games to find me something to get out and play that's that's sort of going to get me back to where I need to get back to. Anyway, whole sort of come in for me. And I remember, like, I've, I've got, I had a racehorse at the time and I was down at Fontwell watching him. And, and uh, my agent rung me, he said, listen, you can go to Hull tomorrow. So I said, perfect. So I'll go in and train at Villa. Say, yeah, right, you can go to Hull. So... Uh, I get in the car, come home, tell the missus. Um, the message was that Villa was bringing in a French lad. I don't know where he was from. Harold McCoody, I think his oh, name McCoody. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and my last day's training, I saw the fella turn up at the training ground for his medical. So I thought, right, bang, he's in. That's That frees me up. I was going up to Hull the next day to sign. And that evening, someone at the club that I was close with called me and said, Tom, look, just to let you know, mate, I don't think they're going to let you go. Um, McCoody hasn't turned up for part of his medical and he's pulled out the deal. Mm. So I said, Gee, yeah, like, I I've had Steve Bruce just give me his word. Steve Round, who was the director of football, has given me his word. So I've got to the training ground at seven o'clock the next day to clear my locker room, get my boots. I thought if everything was out of the training ground and I was on my way to Hull, they couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't <stop> possibly <laughs> ring me and stop me. Yeah. Um, I remember getting to the training ground and it was closed. So I rung the kit man. I said, look, what time are you in? He said, oh, we'd be in about quarter to eight. So they get in a quarter to eight. I clear my locker. And as I'm leaving the training ground, I cross Steve Bruce on the way out. He's coming in and I'm coming out. So I literally just stuck my head down and drove. Because <laughs> I'd had enough at this point. There was no way I was ever, yeah. no ever going to succeed under him after everything that had gone on. Um, so I got up to got up to Hull um, and, and just, yeah, that, that was it then. They, they couldn't really stop me going. So... Um, yeah, then obviously it led to, to what had happened. And I always thought 
in the back of my head, I thought if Villa weren't doing well and a new man coming and they didn't have any centre-halves, their first port of call, because they didn't really have a lot of money to spend at the time with the way the ownership was, their first port of call might just be me. So part of my motivation to go there and play well was not only to get back on the map, if you like, but to give myself a chance of coming back in the second half of the season. Yeah, and you did that. You did absolutely did that, Tommy. You you got called back, same as Jed Stair by Dean Smith. What is that feeling then when you when you're turning back up at Villa Park? I mean, at this point, you you must be forgetting who you're playing for because you you've been everywhere despite <laughs> being registered at uh, Villa. Yeah, yeah. I, like the important thing for me was that I was coming back for a reason. I weren't just coming back to be a number. And um, I remember Rich O'Kelly. I remember JT actually calling me when he first got the job and just said, "Look, I'm making contact with all the players." Said, "But listen, you know the crack with the centre half. If you're doing well, we'll call you back." So that was always again from when I had that initial conversation with JT. Um, it was always sort of in my head and then I remember playing a game for Hull at Bristol City away and then the next day Rich O'Kelly rings me and just said oh, he, he'd thought I'd done really well and what had happened before and would there be any way that I'd consider coming back um, and then about three or four weeks later I think Chesney started to struggle with his knee then um, the gaffer rung me and, and yeah once that phone call had gone in I, I went and saw Nigel Atkins who he just done unbelievable for me in my period at Hull like just filling me up with confidence and getting me back to the standard I needed to be back at but once I had that call with Dean Smith I went to Villa to do a job and I just wanted to see that through um, and 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 give it a shot in the in the second part of the season so obviously I come back and, and things didn't turn out as, as well as I'd like with getting the injury but um, at least I come back in, in some sort of form where I've been before and helped us get to, to sort of the run we needed to get onto to to get into the playoffs. Yeah, because you started that, that first game of the ten in, the famous 10 in a row that the Villa won, the, the derby game, and, and went off injured. I know, obviously, Jack came back, which is is a massive thing, but what was it that suddenly just turned for the team at that point? I do think Jack coming back was was a huge, uh, huge, huge influence. Like, uh, I often say he's one of the best I've played with, if not the best, by an absolute country mile. Um, and at that stage, I think Jack was starting to really get the bit between his teeth as well about what his role was at the club and how much everybody looked up to him as well. Yeah. Um, but I even remember when I first come back, things were a little bit disjointed. The dressing room was a little bit disjointed. Um, I think a big thing for us was Stoke away in the second half. Um, yeah. I remember the manager's team talk after. He, gives, he, he went hard on us and just said, you know, I, I see too many people throwing their arms up in the air and too much negative body language. Um, and he, he gave it to us how it was. And I think that brought the dressing room together a little bit as well. Harry's sponsors 1874, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five blade brands. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Weighted ergonomic handle, five precision engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel and travel blade cover. As a listener of 1874, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just $3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover. You can do all this now by going to harrys.com slash 1874. That's harrys.com slash 1874.
You also sat in the away end at Birmingham, just just talking about Jack. That that must have been such an experience, see, seeing what happens to to a teammate that day, and then him go on and get the winner. What what was it like in that away end? Yeah, oh, listen, like I was never under any illusion, like how passionate and and sort of dedicated the Aston Villa fans, if you like, are, and what it means to play for the club. And um, like I remember my first derby experience, waking up in the morning and my car had been smashed in, and and. Oh, yeah, Birmingham stickers were stuck all over it. And I thought, wow, what is this all about? Um, but it just showed you what it meant to the city and, and to the two clubs. Um, and yeah, I don't know that like I just sort of I'd been in the team and felt a part of the change room and, and just felt like being there was, was a good option and to experience it. Um, it was a great afternoon. Obviously, Jack doing what he'd done and the way it all turned out was was a good afternoon, weren't it? You, you weren't staying in Chelmsley Wood, were you, Tommy? No, I wasn't. I was. I was in. Honestly, I was renting this place in uh, Bentley Heath. It was down a small little lane as well. You'd never ever know. Oh, that's that very there. nice there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you shouldn't be having I, much I, problems I down there. Me. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I remember. Uh, I remember your tweet at the end of the playoff final. It was. I think it was job done, wasn't it? I mean, that that pretty yeah. much sort of summed up. Sort something sum you up, I thought, and it felt quite fitting that that you'd come back to to sort of see it through and just be there on the day and and stuff. But yeah, that was that was your task, wasn't it, to get Villa up? Okay, it took a little bit longer exactly. than expected, but you were part of it. And did you feel like it was mission completed at the end? Yeah, I did. Um, and and it's something as well. Like I don't like claiming it as oh, I got promoted with Aston Villa because I did only play a small part. But it, I think it was the whole three years. Um, I look back at some of the lads that I've met, like lads like Mila Yedinak, Chesney, uh, Glenn Whelan, uh, just massive characters that helped bring all that together because it was a sinking ship. And I remember like ringing my dad one day and thinking, like, could we go here? Like in, in the first season, could we go here, dad? Like, do you think this is genuinely a relegation fight again? Like we was worried. And it was crazy when you look at the talent and what lads are going on to do now um, that have come out of that team. It was crazy that we were in that position, but it was just so, it was so disjointed and just heading in a direction that nobody really knew. Um, like so many lads were battered and bruised and low on confidence. Um, and it was really, really sad the state the club was in. So when I look back at that, when we went up, it was there was a sense of pride that I played a part in just a, a, a tiny, tiny part in just trying to help turn things around for such a great club. I was going to say, you think about the, the three years and imagine if that had been filmed as, as some sort of documentary because you think about the actual yeah. worry of nearly going down in the first season was very, very real and then coming so close to going up the second season and then the third season, ultimately, we, we get there. Like You yourself, you've lived so much there in just three seasons. So, yeah, Villa. so much, so much. And that's why like, I was always left with an option when I joined Villa, like to stay at Bournemouth or to come to Villa. And people like ask me now, oh, do you regret leaving? And like, not one part of me regrets leaving because uh, the Villa fans give me a feeling that I'll never ever experience again on that first day at Sheffield Wednesday when I walked out as captain and seeing them. And then the week later walking out at, at Villa Park, like they're, they're incredible moments to, to say that you're captain such a big club. Um, and there's stuff that I've learned. You learn more in the bad times than you do in the good. Um, and what sort of what I was a part of essentially and what I was seeing every day for the first sort of six months of my Villa career was really, really poor. Like lads taking advantage of the club and lads coming in drunk and it, it, it was a mess. Like it was a mess. Um, so that's where 
Steve Bruce like just deserves a, a whole lot of credit to to steady the ship and, and get it on the right way, the, the right path forward. Well, to me as a fan to hear some of this stuff, it's been amazing to, to talk to you, Tommy. And also, I just want to thank you for, for what you did for the club. I think you can hold your head high. I, I look back and think sometimes the right sign is made at the right time and somehow it, it still doesn't yeah. all go to plan. But it's, it's a great journey, Tommy. And I, I love hearing you talk so respectfully of the club and your time there. So thanks ever so much for coming on the pod, mate. No problem. Thanks, lads. Appreciate it. Well, Greg, I was expecting honesty. I, I wasn't expecting some of those stories, though, that, that, that he told. What a player Philip Park is. Oh, I know, yeah. Well, look, you know, I remember when Tommy came in and, um, you know, I spoke to him at length and he did he did really want to pull that group together. It's very rare that players sort of pull journalists aside and say, look, you yeah, know, we, we want to all get on board. And um, he was one of those guys. He, he I remember him saying to me, um, if we can all pull together, we could try and get this club promoted. And look, he tried to do his bit. He got got shafted clearly at times, um, Big time. as uh, you know, as as he said there. But great to catch up with him, and you know, hopefully he can get over his injuries and, and get back to playing for Huddersfield again. Yeah, absolute top top pro. I think the, the way he speaks, you can just tell what a great professional he is, and someone that can can really cajole a team and get them together. And obviously, we wish him the best at Huddersfield. You've, you've got your written outfit piece as well that you've been working on, Greg. But what what else have you have you got in the pipeline, and what have, what have you had out in the last few weeks? Yeah, quite quite a few busy weeks, really. Obviously, we, we I did the piece to look back to the two thousand and eight, two thousand and and nine season, um, yeah, where Villa just missed out on the Champions League. Some of Villa's are out of, out of contract players, Andre Green, Callum O'Hare, still waiting to be told whether they've got a future at the club. Um, you know, obviously out of contract in the in the in the coming weeks, so uh, it's a bit of a an unnerving time for them. Um, and a few other things in the pipeline, yeah. So plenty plenty to look forward to in the weeks ahead. Yeah, yeah. I've been keeping up to date, read, reading your pieces. Really enjoyed the uh, that. 0809 piece that fitted in with last week's podcast, the Curtis Davis podcast that we did. You can go back and listen to that if you didn't get hold of it last week. And if you want to check out Greg's articles, there's a there's a 90 day free trial going on on the Athletic at the moment. If you just go onto theathletic.co.uk slash villapod, you'll be able to get a free 90 day trial, which is, is worth doing because some great pieces over the last nearly coming up to a year now isn't it Greg it's coming up to a year crazy isn't it time flies I mean time flies when you're having fun they say but um, yeah it's been a very busy 10 or 11 months (laughs) yeah certainly doesn't fly when you're in lockdown I think if I had to pick out one piece that I I really enjoyed the most out of the the, the ones you've done I think it's probably the Gerard Julio one because there's a lot of new information oh, in there. You can go back to the older ones. No, it's just one that stands out, stands out in my mind. Because it, it's stuff that you haven't heard about, and that, that's what I like about some of your written pieces. It's things I haven't really heard about before, and that one sticks out to me as the one where I, I learned the most. So yeah, go and check out all Greg's pieces, but by using that code. So thanks ever so much for tuning in today. Go back and check out the previous pods as well, because we've had some really good interviews over over the last few weeks. And thanks to Tommy Elfit for coming on. What, what a great guy! And Greg, thanks to you as ever for joining me, pal. Cheers, Dan.